Hello and welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels Podcast Hour. I'm your host Ming Canada. Trips and Global on Wheels is focused on sharing resources and insights into disability advocacy, fitness and health, and accessible travel. Our mission is to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed advocates. Each week on our podcast, we interview someone with disability or someone whose work advances the disability rights movement locally and internationally. Sylvia Longmire, welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels Podcast Hour. Thank you so much. Do you want to just briefly introduce yourself a little bit to um, our listeners and viewers? Sure. Uh, well, I have been traveling all my life since I was little. Uh, however, traveling for me changed when I started using a wheelchair full time. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2005, and I started using a wheelchair full time about six years ago. Uh, I was traveling solo before I got married, and then I got married, and I didn't travel very much for about 10 years. But then in 2015, I got divorced, and I started living on my own, and I didn't have my children with me anymore. And it was a really rough time. And I'm like, you know, how do I, how do I heal and, and, you know, get through this experience? So, of course, I turned to travel. But now I had to figure out how am I going to start traveling, especially by myself now that I, I was using a scooter at the time. Uh, how do I start doing that? And there really wasn't that much information out there on the internet about wheelchair accessible travel. So I found a couple of sites and tried to put the information together and just kind of started doing it. And it all, it all worked out, you know, and I started doing one trip after another. Well, I've been a professional writer for 11 years now, and uh, I saw that there were some other blogs about accessible travel. And I said, well, if I'm a professional writer and I'm doing all this traveling now, why not start writing about it? Uh, so that's how I started my Spin the Globe blog. And now it's been five years. And uh, in that time, I've been to 49 countries as a wheelchair user. Uh, so in 35 of those by myself. Uh, and then two years ago, a little actually almost three years ago, I started my own accessible travel agency. And here I am. Wow, that's amazing. Um, you're right, there's not a lot of information out there for people who are wheelchair users. Um, even among, as you know by now, even among like the group of wheelchair users, it's different. There are manual wheelchair users, there are scooters, there are electric wheelchair users, and each uh, group of people that uses those different types of wheelchairs, the challenges are different. The obstacle courses we encounter are you know, slightly different or sometimes very different. Yes. When I, when I write my blog posts, I try to put in any information that might be relevant for people who are in larger power wheelchairs. Like my power wheelchair is very small and it does come apart in three pieces. So I have a little bit more flexibility. A manual wheelchair user will have more flexibility and may be able to rent a car with hand controls or use a regular taxi. I can use a regular taxi. However, somebody in a very big rehab chair will only be able to use either public transportation or an accessible taxi. Uh, and some things that manual wheelchair users, I am very envious because they have the big wheels and can get over obstacles that I certainly can't in my power chair, uh, but I don't have to worry about those tiny little front caster wheels in a manual chair getting stuck in cobblestones or crackets in the pavement. So um, sometimes I can write about those differences, but I always put out there like, hey, this is what my limitations are, this is what my equipment is, and I can only really speak from my own experience. So it's up to you to use this information and 
collect what other information is out there so you can make the best decision possible for your specific situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think you've done such a great job and Thank and you. have such a um, contagious uh, positive attitude doing it as well because I, I've traveled a bit as one. Well I know the like challenges that it's fun, yes, that you learn so much. It's amazing, but there are, as you know, so much, um, so much that we have to go through as well in terms of obstacles. Yes, and it's easy to, it's easy to get really down by all of that. And one of the big things that I tell people, my readers or anybody who you know, follows me on social media, that the number one skill you have to have as a wheelchair traveler is flexibility. And I'm a very type A personality. I like being organized. I like having uh, a routine and a schedule and somebody kind of telling me, this is what you're gonna do and kind of following the steps. But when you travel in a wheelchair and especially when you travel solo in a wheelchair, you have to kind of throw all that out the window because in all honesty, when you get somewhere, you really don't know what to expect. You hope that things are gonna be how they look in the pictures or how they explained it to you, um, but many times they're not. So. If you go into a place and it's not what you expected, you have two choices. You can choose to be mad, sad, angry, frustrated, or upset, or you can choose to say, okay, I'm upset, what can I do? Mm -hmm, exactly, and I know that you are also an accessible travel agent, is, is that right? Because I, I, I wanna talk, go in a little bit in depth about it because I don't hear very often. In fact, I don't know anybody that's an accessible travel agent. So tell us how you got involved and what it, what it entails to become one. I started doing the research and got online and tried to figure out what do you have to do to become a travel agent? And there's lots of information out there because there are tens of thousands of travel agents all around the country and even more around the world. So I found the Travel Institute, which is a very well-recognized and well-reputed uh, training source for new travel agents. And I did a, an, a home agent course online and with books and everything. And that took about three months. So then once I got the training, I decided to go with what's called a host agency. And basically I'm an independent contractor. I have my own business, spin the globe, uh, and I run my own, my, you know, all my stuff, but a host agency, Basically, you use their software to book things like hotels and, uh, and, and stays and, and vacations and everything. And they manage like the money and the commissions and you pay them a portion of your commission for all of the information that they provide, all the training that they provide. Uh, and so that's kind of the logistical part of it. But you still have to start your own business and do your marketing and do your networking, just like any other business in the, in the service or the travel industry. And I was really fortunate because I started the blog first. So when I started the travel agency and I already had this group of, you know, thousands of re monthly readers and thousands of social media followers. So once I became a travel agent, I would write my blog posts and let's say cruises, because now all I do is cruises. Be like, hey, this cruise was awesome and I went here and here and here and the accessibility of the ship was incredible. Do you wanna go on a cruise like this? Well, contact me at Spin the Globe Cruises and with a link to my you know, a travel agency website. And it was really a great funnel for my agency. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it was really crazy. And because there are so few of us who specialize in accessible travel and even fewer who are in wheelchairs ourselves, 
there's a lot of business and I really haven't had to do that much marketing because word of mouth is really strong in our community. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I hope there will be more um, accessible travel agents, you know, moving on in, in, in the future. And it's not a novelty. It's like, oh, look, look yeah. at what she does. Never heard of it. Yeah. Um, because there's definitely a demand out there. Definitely. Um, so I know that you, you know, you, you've traveled solo a lot. And I know you've covered it in some of your videos as well uh, with uh, regards to how you take all your things with you in terms of luggage and your purse and so are there yeah are there any like special gadgets you use I know I use I'm a manual wheelchair user so I can't carry um I uh you know my luggage even if it even if it has four wheels because I can't use yeah you need two hands yeah for, for, for anything so and, and just like you said, uh, I have manual chair friends who do travel solo and they have special hooks and everything on the back of their chairs or they put their bags on their laps. So it's different for everybody. But um, the way I'm able to do it because I have the joystick and I really only need one hand to control my chair. Uh, I only, I have two suitcases, two different sizes. I have the, uh, the carry-on size, which is a little lower and then the bigger size. Uh, and I, they're on four wheels. They're the spinner type suitcases and I'm able to roll that alongside next to me with one hand and control my chair with my other hand. And then I have a backpack, which comes with me on the plane. And that goes that I hang that on the back of my chair. So my backpack has all the stuff that I really, really need in case for whatever reason, my check bag gets lost. So I have my charger in there for my chair. I have uh, all my medications. And I always, I, I did a video on this for TikTok, the you know, weirdest things that wheelchair users travel with. I always travel with a roll of duct tape because anytime the airlines are notorious for damaging wheelchairs. And if the, the damage is major, no amount of duct tape is going to fix it. But if it's something little, like something snaps off and you need to reattach it, zip ties and duct tape are really good for temporary fixes until you can get home and have your wheelchair repaired. So I travel with the, the duct tape, the zip ties. I always travel with an extension cord uh, because I need to charge my wheelchair every night. And a lot of hotel rooms don't have outlets right next to the bed where to make it easy. And you, because you have to be aware of differences in electricity in different countries, I have extension cords that are for those particular outlets and that voltage. So I have an extension cord for China, I have an extension cord for uh, the United Kingdom, and then I have an extension cord for, uh, for Europe. Uh, I didn't have an extension cord for South Africa, which I thought would be the same as Europe. But anyway, that's a long story. Uh, so those are the main things. And I also travel with a, a, a grabber, uh, which it, and it's collapsible. Uh, and so in case I can't reach something, whether it's the shower head or if the remote control for the TV falls under the bed and because it folds in half, it fits in my smaller carry-on suitcase. So uh, I never go anywhere without those items. Yeah. Wow. That's very, very useful, especially with the um, uh, power outlets. You know, you don't think of, um, you, sometimes you're right, you just assume certain countries will be the same as others, but you really have to do the research and see what, what they use. Yeah. I wanted to dive a little deeper into um, your diagnosis and just sharing a little bit more about how your disability has changed your mindset of what's possible and impossible you know you came from that angle of an able-bodied person where 
I don't want to use the cliche of any of anything as possible possible because you do come from a lens of um, you are a female and there is sexism and other sorts of prejudice and so you did encounter obstacles um, uh, challenges uh, from that lens but how how has that narrowed even further in terms of disability and how people perceive disability sure yeah uh, it really has completely changed my outlook. And it's not something that happens overnight. Uh, my disability is, with multiple sclerosis, it's, it, t it tends to be gradual. Uh, all of us are like fingerprints, you know, no course of MS is the same. But my, my decline in ability was very, very slow. So I went from a cane to a walker for a few years, and then the walker and the scooter for a few years, and then, you know, the full-time wheelchair. So I was lucky in that I had the time to both psychologically and emotionally adjust to the impact that my progressing disability was having on my life. And for the same reason, you know, people who knew me could see the progression and people who were closest to me, you know, it wasn't a thing, it was never a topic of conversation. But when I became a full-time wheelchair user, that's when you really start noticing how the general public responds to you a little bit differently. That's when you become more interested in uh, the medical system and the political system. Now, I'm to be perfectly upfront, I am very insulated from a lot of the challenges that many wheelchair users have in American society because I'm a disabled veteran. So I have a, dis a disability pension that keeps the lights on, keeps the roof over my head. I'm, I have a uh, an adapted van and adapted housing that are all subsidized by the Veterans Administration. And I have medical care uh, from the military because of that. So I don't have to deal with um, caps on my income. I don't have to deal with making sure that certain medications or my wheelchair gets approved or uh, disability, social, you know, SSDI and other uh, government programs that can help me as a disabled American. Now, just because I'm insulated from that in my personal finances and my personal life doesn't mean that I'm not aware because I have so many friends who are affected by that. And these are people who I love and I care about. And because it's my mission to serve the disability community, mostly in the travel you know, area, but I'm also a disability advocate. So I like bringing attention to these problems and challenges and issues. Now, I was completely unaware of any of these things before becoming a full-time wheelchair user. And when I go to you know, restaurants or stay in hotels, after a while, you start getting the message that even though we've had the Americans with Disabilities Act for 30 years, there's been 30 years for hotels to get it right. And even after 30 years, a brand new hotel will still put a fold-down bench in the shower directly across from the controls that you can't reach it when you're sitting down, a brand new hotel. So you think it's not that hard to figure out how to do this the right way. So you see that over and over and over again, and it sends you the message, subtle for some people, not so subtle for others, that people just don't care. And when you get that message that people just don't care, society doesn't care, that's really, it's really difficult and it's very challenging. So after, so it's been, yeah, six years now, and we're not in a bubble as a disability community. We're the largest minority in America and in the world. 
but we're also the smallest as far as rep representation and we're the quietest. So we see through our disability lens how other minority movements, whether it's um, you know, BLM or the LGBTQ community or any other minority group that is dealing with discrimination or marginalization or anything like that. And you start feeling an empathy for that. You start seeing, well, our struggle isn't the same, but we're struggling and we understand what you're dealing with it, it, just through a different lens. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's wonderful how you, you know, lay out that, because you you worked you which branch were you in not the air army force. air, air force, force. Yep. so you're in the air force so a lot of the financial aspects you don't necessarily have to stress about on a day-to-day -day basis but there are still other challenges you face as a individual with a disability and so so I, I really appreciate you for sharing that and bringing that aspect out, pointing the differences, but also the similarities. And I think having close relationships with the community and people who do not have that uh, uh, financial safety net um, really helps um, bring out empathy as well. Yeah. Um, and so, so the, the next question kind of relates to that is, how has your disability, do you think, affected your relationships? You kind of started going into it a little bit. Um, in either, you know, um, you know, either close relationships or just acquaintances. Um, and yeah, how, has it, how it's impacted all that? Well, I, my personality hasn't really changed uh, from before, dis you know, before disability to post disability, I'm still the same person. And I still have a lot of the same friends. And after I got divorced in 2015, and I moved to Orlando and started, you know, living alone, uh, I'm a very social person. So I just started going out and going to events. Uh, I, I was involved in the slam poetry community for a couple of years. And I love live music. So I would just start going to places that would have live bands playing. And after a while, I became friends with a lot of people in the uh, literary and the poetry community here in Orlando and also in the music community. So half of my friends were poets, half of my friends were musicians, which is really a really interesting community to be part of. But all the, fortunately, the places that I would go, uh, some of them were not great for accessibility, but they would, the owners and the managers would help me out and everything. People would always move everything out of the way. And my friends were always really nice and would help me out. But um, they didn't really care. They were more interested in whether or not I was a, a cool person or whether I was a jerk. And, you know, once they got to know me that the chair wasn't really an issue. And that's, it's an interesting point of contention in the disability community where some people say, well, I don't see the wheelchair. I don't see the chair. I just see the person. And that's good. And I get the sentiment, but many of us say, well, we want you to see the chair and we want you to acknowledge it. Uh, similar with kind of a race issues. Well, I don't see color, you know, I don't see black or white. It's like, well, we want you to see it and acknowledge it. And then, then we can talk about it and go past it. But you know, just like uh, being uh, black or Asian or Latino, my family's from Cuba. Uh, so just that is part of my identity, but it just happens to kind of be, it just happens to be there. So I don't want people necessarily to look past the chair, understand that I'm in a chair and why I'm, you know, why I'm in it, because being in a wheelchair is part of my identity. But once you acknowledge that, you just kind of get past it. And that's really, my friendships haven't been affected. It hasn't prevented me from making friends. Um, 
as far as romantic stuff goes, um, I actually haven't dated in a long time, but that's by choice, mainly because I've been traveling so much. Uh, so I'm, I mean, I'm gone more than I'm home. So dating just hasn't been practical for me because when you get to know somebody and then, oh yeah, sorry, I have to go. And then by the time I get back a couple weeks later, I'm like, oh, what was your name again? <laughs> um, and because I work from home, I don't have really the same opportunities to uh, meet people like you would with in, in a regular situation going out to, I don't know, parties or restaurants or bars or whatever. That's not really my gig. So I've tried the online dating thing several times and I've gone out on several dates and the chemistry just hasn't been there. Um, I'm very, very open in my online dating profiles. Like my main profile picture, I'm in the wheelchair. I'm pretty, <laughs> I wear my makeup and I dress up and I look nice, but I make it clear I'm in my wheelchair because I have nothing to hide. And I certainly don't want to be uh, the surprise on the first date that I'm in a chair. And I have really met and talked to some really cool guys that just, you know, oh, whatever, uh, and are more interested in finding out if I'm cool. And there are plenty of guys out there who it's just too heavy for them and don't want to deal with it. And I get that. And, and some, I think some people in wheelchairs would be greatly offended or hurt that, well, it shouldn't matter. I'm like, well, people are people and I understand human nature and human reality. And I get it. If, if it bothers you or if you're worried that you're going to have to take care of me or, you know, if we get in a serious relationship down the road, what will you have to, you know, okay, that's cool. Uh, I, I'm all right with that. I don't let it, I don't let it bother me. I, I move on to the next person. Um, now with COVID, you know, obviously dating is like, no, <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near anyone uh, without a mask and dating with a mask is like not a thing. So uh, I'm focusing on my work more than anything else. Uh, I spent the summer with my kids. Uh, I have them during every summer. They just moved to Germany. So I'm still dealing with, with that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, 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 it's hard to date when you're in a wheelchair, but it's not impossible. And I just haven't chosen to make it a priority. So we'll see after COVID if that part changes. But I'm looking forward to hanging out with my friends in person again as soon as I can. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I know. Um, I know in terms of it's, it's always um, it's always interesting um, when to how much to divulge and when it's like yeah. when you are already chatting with them and they know a little bit more about you or right up front at the beginning when they're scrolling through photos or um so it's so it's interesting to hear your perspective where you just put it all out there and let them not all out there because you can't know a person right. fully through a picture but just as much as you're able to in a photo yeah it's it's different for everybody <laughs> exactly I think, you know, you've done a lot of work in terms of changing mindsets. And I think one of, one of the things you've been doing recently, perhaps, I don't know how recent it is, I know you're the Miss Wheelchair, Miss Wheelchair and the Miss Wheelchair pageants. Um, can you share with us the, you know, the pros and cons, and maybe you only have pros of participating in that and, you know, why you think other people perhaps should participate, especially people with mobility disabilities? Sure. Uh, I found out I was Ms. Wheelchair USA 2016, and I found out about the pageant just through a Google search. I, uh, just a few months before that, I started my nonprofit, and uh, it's called the Prejax Foundation, and we raise money for college scholarships for people, uh, either students with MS or with a parent with MS. 
So I was looking for a way to promote my nonprofit and kind of use a platform. So I found the Ms. Wheelchair USA uh, competition and I entered and I got the, the regional title and then competed for the national title in Ohio. Now, at this point, I didn't know any other wheelchair users really. And certainly I didn't have any friends who were women in wheelchairs. So this was an entirely new experience. I was very apprehensive because I had no idea what to expect. So you know, I get to Ohio and there's the, you know, a dozen other women and some in manual chairs, some in big power chairs, uh, some were uh, formerly professional athletes. Others had you know, very severe forms of either spina bifida or SMA and you know, had, uh, had trachs and you just it ran the gamut of levels of disability and different types of assistive devices. So it was such a learning experience for me. And I was probably, I think out of all of us, I was one of the more able-bodied of all of us. Um, like I said, we had uh, uh, Jesse Straham, who's a good friend of mine, and she used to, she used to race um, these like ATV, you know, cars and stuff. And she's an athlete that she does like the tough mutters uh, or the world's toughest mutter where it's like 24 hours and she's getting all dirty and climbing up ropes and climbing under things. And I mean, it's, she's amazing. So she was one of the contestants that year. Uh, and I was just in awe of all these different women and their own, they each have their own journey and they each have their own struggles. And coming from my perspective where, yeah, I have my own struggles, but I always look at it like I, it could be a lot harder. And I always, and I, before becoming a wheelchair user, I would look at folks who were like these ladies and go, God, that must really suck to have to deal with that. And I know a lot of people would look at me and think the same thing and talking to them and, you know, how do you deal with that? And how do you do this? Like, how do you, you know, how do you put in a catheter every two hours or how do you sleep or does somebody roll you over? Or how do you change your clothes? I know how I do it, but it's a lot easier for me than it is for them. And then for them, but that's just their everyday. Like, this is just what I do. And it's something to be celebrated, yes. But also, you it's its a celebration of, uh, of adapting because that's just how you have to live your life and what you have to do to get from point A to point B. So while able-bodied people may look at them and look at us as women and go, oh God, that's horrible. I feel so bad that like, well, you know what, this is our life. And you, able-bodied people have their own struggles to deal with. So this is just our life and seeing how strong these women are and their platforms that they were promoting from uh, uh, you know, just different charities, uh, from service dogs. It was really, really cool to hear all the different causes that they were, they were fighting for and speaking up for and, and seeing their confidence grow just from being on stage and, and having to give a, a short little presentation or a short little interview and kind of think on their feet, um, how beautiful they felt when they would get all dressed up in their formal wear. Uh, we had our makeup and hair done professionally. And uh, for some of them, that was like a really, it was a really cool moment to see everybody all looking so, so beautiful. So there was that aspect of it, but it's really not a beauty pageant in and of itself. Yeah, we looked pretty, but the stuff that we got to do and being out in the community and working together and learning about each other was one of the coolest experiences of my life. So I would highly recommend it to anyone, uh, you know, any women that are out there who are interesting in promoting a platform, dealing with disability or accessibility, and just want to meet other people and kind of, you know, allow yourself to inspire others and want to be inspired by, by other women who are just like you. I would, I would definitely highly recommend it.
Yeah, that's that's great. And um, I I see that you don't have your pink hair anymore. No, I don't. I had to I had to take it out for uh, for commercial reasons. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. So yeah, that that was such a great conversation. I I learned a lot, and I, I think our you know viewers and listeners well too. Thank you for carving out time. I know you got a busy schedule despite it being a pandemic. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I only know what it's like in America and shutting doors. I don't think that's right. Thanks for listening to another Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. Look for us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, where I post pictures of my travels, share videos of my fitness journey, and keep you updated on the latest wheelchair accessory must-haves. Tell others about our program. The more we can raise awareness about these issues, the stronger we can get as a community. At Trips and Global on Wheels, we aim to build a community of healthy. Worldly and informed individuals with disabilities and disability advocates. That means we want to hear from you, our listeners. Send us an email at tgowpodcast@gmail.com. Let us know about your favorite destinations for accessible travel. How do you stay fit to avoid chronic injuries? What language do you prefer to describe your identity as someone with a disability? We want to provide a platform for people to share and learn from each other. So send us your stories. If you have suggestions for future guests that you would like to hear on our podcast series, please leave them in the contact us section of our website or post them on our Facebook page. Thanks again for listening. Bye bye.